It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 351 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. This episode is called Accessibility. It is March 18, 2022. And this is Jen. I'm going to start this show with a very nice comment posted on the Shattered Soulstone website. It's ShatteredSoulstone.com from Red October. And I've mentioned Red October in a previous show because I was invited by him to go to the Immortal Campfire in the Scrappy server on Discord. And I had a good time. I thought it was fun. And so Red October left this comment on the Shattered Soulstone website, which you can do. You can respond to any episode and I'll find your comment comment. He wrote this. Morning, Jen. I'm chronically behind in my podcasts. 10 days is pretty good for me. Always enjoy the podcast and appreciate you joining in on the Immortal Campfire. Definitely brought in some different points of discussion, which everyone benefited from Red October. Thanks for the nice comment, Red October. I had a good time on the Immortal Campfire talking about uh, accessibility and different things in there, in addition to stuff about Diablo Immortal itself. And one of the things I talked about, which if you haven't listened to this, if you're someone out you know, hearing my voice now and you haven't listened to the uh, campfire thing, one of the things I brought up was accessibility. And I was talking about like if you can use a controller to play Diablo Immortal on your tablet or your phone, that might make things a lot easier. And for people like me, like I have disabilities that make my hands just stop working sometimes and make me drop things. So that was one of the things I mentioned. And I also brought up like in Diablo three, there's a lot of flashing lights. And uh, if you fight Belial and you kill Belial, the entire screen does this huge like flashing light thing that the player can't escape because you're in an enclosed space. You can't run away from the flashing light. So if you're like streaming it or if you're recording it, it could harm someone who can't handle the flashing lights, like people who have epilepsy. And I tend to think about these things a lot, in part because I have disabilities. And you just kind of see the world differently after that. And it turns out I'm not the only one thinking about disabilities in gaming and accessibility, which is why I called the show Accessibility. And there's been some really cool things happening regarding uh, gaming and other stuff to help people that have disabilities be able to interact with things in a way that'll work for them. So the first one's from Blizzard, and Blizzard released recently on YouTube a Hearthstone video talking about, well, showing and, and talking about a bit something called Voyage to the Sunken City Cinematic Trailer. I think it's probably for whatever expansion is coming up. I haven't played Hearthstone in a while, but they tend to do these kinds of things. Now, typically, when they post one of these videos, they're always very short, and there is a lot of beautiful animation, music that fits whatever's going on in the video, and that's about it. So if you're visually impaired or you're blind, you're not getting most of the context of what's going on in there. So what they've done, they've added an audio description that matches up to what you see on the screen so that if you can't see it, you can still understand what's going on. 
I've never seen this done before by Blizzard or any other gaming company. I don't know if any other gaming company has done that. But that's just phenomenal because that just invites so many more people to the content that they came here to see or to experience. And I hope they do this more. I'd like to see this happen with all of Blizzard's games where if you're posting a video that's mostly visual, that there is a description being read off to whoever it is watching it, whether they can see it themselves or if they cannot. And I think that's that's such a huge step in the right direction. And I hope other gaming companies start doing that too. Additionally, just recently, like a couple days ago, Microsoft posted a blog that is highlighting that they are now allowing you, if you're using Microsoft Edge, you can have it provide auto-generated image labels. So that's like alt text. Like a lot of us are on Twitter, we'll post a picture of something or a screenshot of something, and then you have the opportunity to describe it in whatever way seems fitting and put as much information in there as you need to have someone who can't see it or cannot see it well understand what they're looking at in context to your tweet. I don't know if Facebook does this. I'm thinking maybe, but you know, that's a thing. But a lot of times in blog posts and things like that, people will put a bunch of, you know, gaming screenshots and not really discuss what's in them. Instead, talk about, well, this part of the game, I was doing this or, or whatever. And, or if it's just a normal blog, like if you have a cooking blog and you're, you know, you've got a recipe written out and you've got a picture of the food or a step-by-step that you don't label, there's going to, you're leaving people out that can't see your information. So how this works, you have to use Microsoft Edge as your browser and you will be able to choose to turn on a feature that's going to allow it's going to give, uh, it's basically you're giving permission for Microsoft Edge to send unlabeled images to a company called Azure Cognitive Services Computer Vision API for processing. And it's, uh, there's a thing called the Vision API and it will analyze and create, Im- uh, it will analyze images and create descriptive summaries in five different languages. It will recognize text inside of images. So if you've got one of those if you've posted something that is like a happy little quote with like a pink background or something, it'll analyze what those words are and it'll make this into the alt text of that image, which is amazing. And there's a privacy promise in there too. You don't have to do this if you absolutely do not want this going on on say your blog post or whatever. I don't know why you would not choose to do that, but if that's you, there's an option for that. There's some exceptions. They don't want the uh, auto image reader to describe something on images that have simply been marked decorative. Decorative is a lot of things. Maybe you should work a little harder to put a little bit more like decorative flowers in different colors or something like that. You know, if it's a tiny little pixelated image, they're not going to be able to get anything out of it. The the AI is not going to get anything out of that that can be shared. Uh, Excessively large images. I have no idea what Microsoft considers excessive, but someone's going to find that out. And they also don't want to send things to the Vision API Uh, that are pornographic in nature, gory, or sexually suggestive. But beyond that, this could be a way to easily get some, you know, descriptions on all the things that are in your blog or whatever else you're doing. I don't know. It doesn't say anything in here about if you're using Twitter and you want to use, you know, and you're looking at it on Microsoft Edge, if this will work through Twitter. I I don't know at all how that's going to go. But it does say that this is a built-in service as of, I think, yesterday when this blog post came out. 
and it's for all Microsoft Edge customers on Windows, Mac, and Linux. It is not currently available for Microsoft Edge on Android or iOS. So I think that's cool because I have a blog that is full of screenshots of video games and at some point I either finally noticed that there was an option off to the side where you could put a description for screenshots or images, pieces of art, drawings, coloring pages, whatever you have in there, that would allow someone who uses a screen reader to be able to see, essentially, or at least get a concept of what's in the blog that they're you know, viewing or trying to view, you know, that kind of thing. And it takes a long time. I've had my blog, um, bookofgen.net, for an extremely long time. And every so often I go back, if I update a blog post with, oh, wait, I needed to put that screenshot in there too. I will go back and put descriptions on everything else in that blog post just to, you know, have it screen for screen readers, that kind of thing. And I'm hoping more people will do this because as you may or may not know, Sean, who is the editor of the show and my husband, he is legally blind. I don't think he's always using a screen reader. He's got some other adaptive stuff going on, but I always think of people that would have the experience of going to a website and not being able to see it. And this is a great thing that Microsoft is doing to kind of help make things more accessible for people. In addition, uh, Ubisoft wrote a thing called The Future of Accessibility at Ubisoft, written on March 16th. And I'm not entirely sure exactly what they're doing here because it's kind of (laughs) long. And um, I prefer when they just tell you up front, we're doing this thing right here, you know. But I'll read you the first paragraph. Ubisoft has made a concerted effort in recent years to make its games more accessible to more players. Leading the charge on that front is the accessibility team. They have a team. That's cool. Uh, Led by senior manager of of accessibility, David Tisserand. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Tisserand contributed to the accessibility task force in 2017 and since then has begun working with development teams and external marketing teams to ensure that not only are games accessible, but that accessibility is considered at every stage of the player-facing process. And there's an interview that follows in here. There's a lot of like, here's a question and here is the answer from David Tisserand. And it's a lot, so I'll probably leave you to read that. Everything I talk about on the show is going to be in the show notes at ShatteredSoulStone.com. So if you miss something, it'll be there and you can pick it up from there quite easily. So uh, I'll just read you the first one. The first question was, accessibility has come a long way in the last few years at Ubisoft. Is there a certain moment you can pinpoint as the big shift in the company's approach towards accessibility? David Tisserand responded with this paragraph. There have been several key moments in our accessibility journey, which began in 2017 with the creation of the Accessibility Task Force. From making accessibility officially part of our game's mandates to creating more than 20 roles dedicated to accessibility across the company to expand our efforts beyond games with our events, our customer support, our websites, and more. I see some important shifts on the horizon with the work we've started on our in-house engines and middleware to better support the implementation of some accessibility considerations. I'll consider our tasks to be complete once everything we do for our players and our employees is accessible. That's always been the goal, and I clearly see now that the momentum is here to help us achieve it. And it goes on from there if you'd like to hear more about what about what they're doing with different things. And uh, it's pretty neat. You know, it's it's just kind of all of this is happening at once sort of thing. And it's good that 
people that are working on games are starting to understand, well, wait, how is this going to affect somebody that can't handle flashing lights? How is this going to affect a person that has low vision or needs a screen reader to see what that text is? You know, um, these kinds of things. You know, I think it's I think it's a really good way of doing it. And I hope this continues in all gaming companies, because if you want more people to play your games, you need to make them accessible. There's a tweet here from a person named Stacy Jenkins, who is uh, an accessibility PM at Ubisoft Paris and an accessibility hero for something. A Twitch partner describes herself as disabled and uses she, they, so either pronoun would work, I suppose. Uh, Stacy wrote, one of my biggest accessibility barriers in the at tunic game. Uh, tunic is apparently a game about a tiny fox in a big world. It's going, uh, it's been released uh, March 16, 2022. So one of the one of my biggest accessibility barriers in the tunic game demo was that the enemy's flashing was causing me migraines. So excited to see the option to turn it off completely in the full release can confirm it turns the flash off entirely, not reduce. Nice work at Dicey. That I think is the company, maybe. I don't know. That's really cool because like I've noticed that, you know, flashing lights are really bad for some people. And if you can't get around them in a game, it's going to mean, you know, if it's going to cause you pain or suffering that you can't stop, you're not going to want to play the game anymore. And if you liked the game up until that point, that's kind of heartbreaking, you know. So I'm glad that they had an option in a box labeled accessibility. And one of the things that's highlighted is reduce motion blur, but there's also vibration. Because if you're using, a, I don't know if this game, I don't know anything about this game, but um, if you're using a controller and it vibrates when you, you know, hit an enemy or something like that, and you've got the kind of disability in your hands where that's going to hurt, you don't want that. You know, there's reduced screen shake. That's huge. I get sick from what I call shaky cam, even if I'm just watching somebody play it on Twitch or if like a movie has it, like there's a battle scene and it's point of view of someone and it's like the camera is shaking all over the place. I get nauseous. So, I mean, it's nice that they'll let you turn that off in this particular game. Uh, reduced damage flash. You can turn that off. You can turn off the no fail mode if you want. Uh, you can turn off the no stamina restrictions. So that's just some other things, you know, and it's things like this that are just so important because it makes the game more accessible to people that have certain issues that in the past weren't really thought about very much. So, you know, good for Tunic Games for making that something people could like change at will, you know? So I've got an article here from Kotaku, which I feel has to do with accessibility. It's not necessarily in gaming, but a lot of gaming companies are uh, supporting this effort. So the... Kotaku article title is EA and Gearbox sign letter opposing anti-trans bill in Texas. The blurb underneath says many businesses, including gaming and tech companies, took out an ad containing the letter in the Dallas Morning News. On February 22nd, Texas Governor Greg Abbott issued an order for Child Protective Services to investigate the families of transgender children who receive gender-affirming health care for, uh, for child abuse. That's a weirdly worded sentence. But what they're trying to say is if you're a parent that's supporting your trans child with the medical care they might need, that you are enacting in child abuse. That's what they're trying to say. So to continue with this, a day later, Governor Abbott called on everyday Texans in addition to professionals to report parents for, quote, child abuse under threat of criminal negligence. 
On um, March 11th, when this was posted by Kotaku, uh, 65 companies, including several gaming giants like Electronic Arts, Gearbox Entertainment, and Microsoft, signed a letter organized by the LGBTQ organization, the Human Rights Campaign, that, quote, calls on the governor to abandon anti-LGBTQ plus efforts. The full-page advertisement ran in the Friday edition of the Dallas Morning News, the day that this Kotaku article was posted. Our companies do businesses, create jobs, and serve customers in Texas. The letter reads, We call on our public leaders in Texas and across the country to abandon efforts to write discrimination into law and policy. It's not just wrong. It has an impact on our employees, our customers, their families, and our work. That's from that. And um, I'll read you one more paragraph. Many of the tech and gaming signatories, including EA, Microsoft, and Gearbox, are members of Texas Competes, a pro-LGBTQ business network. Texas Competes Managing Director Jessica Shortall, that's an interesting last name, Shortall, Shortall, uh, told Kotaku that many Texas businesses are partially motivated by talent retention. The labor market is tight for hiring technical employees, and employers have had job offers turned down when they ask candidates to relocate to Texas. This is especially significant when 32% of game developers identify as something other than straight, and almost 10% identify as a different gender than the one assigned at birth. So... It's good that these gaming companies in Texas are pushing back against this because it means a lot. You know, I can't imagine what it would be like to be someone who identifies as something other than straight, to use the phrasing from that paragraph, in Texas. And to like, I mean, what that would feel like would be just terrifying. I really do feel that access to appropriate medical care is an accessibility issue. You need to have that if that's for you, whatever your health care involves. So I'm glad there's some gaming companies that are pushing back against that specifically. I have no idea what will happen. I'm going to move on to um, another topic here that seems to be, there was a lot of things about this in the last week or so. And this has to do with gaming companies that are treating their employees badly. And now I'm going to preface this by saying, this does not mean every gaming company has people that are just abusing their employees horribly all the time. There are some gaming companies where that type of thing is happening, but there's also plenty of good people working in those studios and who are not awful people doing any kind of abuse. So you kind of have to keep that in mind. It's easy to say, oh, you know, Activision Blizzard is terrible because they let all this stuff happen and it's continuing. And kind of write off all of the people in there that are that want to be there that are doing good things that are making you know good products and the games that we play like that make them good games you know that kind of stuff they're not abusing everyone there's good people there there's people that come in and out of blizzard like you know any other company people get a different job decide to do something different you know whatever but i'm seeing a lot on the internet saying oh that company is trash writing off all of the people there that are good people. So keep that in mind as I go through the next couple of things here. So there's a woman named Jessica Howard. She is the editor of GameSpot. And she wrote this on Twitter. We need to collectively admit there are major ethical problems with how most games are made. Doesn't matter if it's a cute indie or AAA licensed behemoth. Some folks need to get a lot less defensive and a lot more okay with complex feelings, accountability, and reconciliation. She's got a follow-up tweet, but I think that one was really significant. And this leads to what I'm going into. Um, 
So the code CWA, it is the campaign to organize digital employees in the tech, games, and digital industries with the CWA union. You've heard me talk about them before. And they posted a tweet with a link to something, and they wrote, CWA endorses Senator Senator Warren's, I was going to say Elizabeth Warren, that is her name, um, Prohibiting Anti-Competitive Mergers Act ahead of critical FTC review of Microsoft Activision deal. And they have a statement about this that they'd like to say. It's not very long, so I'll read it to you. Workers have long been shut out of conversations about mergers that would directly impact their livelihoods, and they have been disregarded by regulators in the review process, said at CWA Union President Chris Shelton. Activision Blizzard employees are facing rampant surveillance, intimidation, and union-busting tactics in response to their efforts to change a culture of worker abuse and discrimination. Senator Warren's bill would ensure the merger's impact on these workers is prioritized by federal regulators and add a necessary check on corporate mergers by directing agencies to review and reject potential deals that would harm workers' ability to secure better futures as Activision workers are trying to do. And they're doing that by unionizing or trying to unionize. So that's pretty significant. The um, I had an article here somewhere, but that was kind of the main idea. Let's see if I can get back to that. Okay, here's the article. And it's on the CWA. So I probably read most of it uh, to you just from those tweets. And um, so I'll put that in the show notes as well if you want to see their full their full uh, statement about it instead of just a couple of tweets. Moving on, we have Bungie. I don't know what you think of Bungie. I don't know a lot about Bungie. I've heard good. I've heard bad. I don't know. But there are many companies that have done things to try to support the people of Ukraine since the war started and in some cases this has meant we're cutting russia off from playing our games or buying our consoles or being able to buy stuff in game uh some companies have pulled um i think i talked about this before but like there was a sports one that had pulled russian teams out of their game you know (laughs) like it was it's a video game i think so bungie wrote this and i'm just gonna shorten it because it's quite a lot of stuff in here um Bungie stands with the people of Ukraine and everyone impacted by the ongoing war. Skipping ahead, through our Bungie Foundation, we are able to use philanthropic means to express our beliefs and values through the lens of humanitarian support. Last week, the Bungie Foundation committed to donate 100% of the proceeds from the first 48 hours of their Game 2, number 2, Give charity initiative directly to humanitarian aid organizations in an effort to help the people impacted by this war. Players proved once again that they're guardians of the world, raising $120,000, and we cannot thank each and every donor enough for their contribution. Bungie will also continue to match our own employee donations uh, to any additional U.S.-based 504c3 charitable organizations. These proceeds will be donated to the following two organizations. So they picked Direct Relief, which Bungie Bungie describes as our most trusted and longest standing humanitarian aid partner. Direct Relief is mobilizing a massive humanitarian response for Ukraine in most vulnerable communities. There's more to that. And then International Rescue Committee. As two million people and counting have fled Ukraine to seek safety in neighboring countries, the IRC, International Rescue Committee, is working to scale up support of their government and civil societies in order to provide for the basic needs of these refugees. And it kind of goes on from there. There's some other ones that they're highlighting if you want to donate to that. And, I mean, that's actually a good thing. I'm not sure 
that I know enough about Bungie to know what else they're doing, but this is good, so good on them for that. There's an article from GamesBeat, or VentureBeat under their GamesBeat section. It is titled, Despite its beautiful Ori games, Moon Studios is called an, quote, oppressive place to work. This was written by Dean Takahashi on March 18, which is today. So I'll read you a little bit from this. Gaming fans know Moon Studios for its amazing Ori games with beautiful art and emotional stories. But a number of current and former employees consider the Ori studio an oppressive place to work. That is according to GamesBeat's games interviews with Moon developers. Moon developer sounds like you're out there, you know, doing something for NASA, but it's a gaming company. Ori and the Blind Forest debuted in 2015 under publisher Microsoft. It was profitable after a few weeks while earning an 88% rating on the review aggregation platform Metacritic. Multiple publications also nominated it for various awards and accolades. Moon then went on to to release the sequel Ori and the Will of the Wisps in 2020 to even greater acclaim, including GameBeat's 2020 Game of the Year award. We love the Ori games, but the studio's behind-the-scenes atmosphere does not match the tranquility of its games. Based on interviews with current and former employees, many employees had problems with founders Thomas Mahler and... hmm. How do I say this? Uh, Janadi Coral. It is illuminating to see these allegations arose at a small company with all remote practices, a private company that treasures its independence and its, quote, anti-corporate, end quote, culture. Still, the casual racism, sexism, and bullying amounted to what one developer said was, quote, death by a thousand cuts. And, um... Yeah, there's a summary of allegations, so I'll just go into the summary of allegations, I suppose. Moon Development told GamesBeat that they found the studio's culture oppressive. They alleged that the leaders used calls for an open and honest workplace as a pretense for abuse. The founders criticized the work of employees in public chats and were stingy with praise. So far, no one is suing or claiming unlawful behavior, but many workers are fed up with what they see as inappropriate behavior by the founders. For example... Sorry, it's, it actually says as an example, but it comes to the same. Mahler and Coral regularly made unprofessional and offensive comments. Quote, Tyler is the only person who is aware of my devious plans to kill the... Oh, God. To kill a certain group of people that lived through the Holocaust? Yeah. Oh, God. Um, but uh, this continues by making them work to death through game development. And this was... He was saying that as though it were a joke. Wow. That's a huge problem. Uh, to continue, the context of the conversation suggested that Mahler was truly making a joke, but it's alarming to think he felt it was safe and appropriate to say such a thing in a company chat. One developer said the chat was rough because the founders felt free to make jokes about their penis sizes. These are not adults. These are not adults, you know? Um, And the article continues, we saw plenty of evidence of harsh language in chat sessions that we reviewed. While the founders were constantly pushed for quality, they also gave conflicting or unclear directions when it came to feedback. They veered off plan and pushed for changes that threw the devs off schedule, and that contributed to crunch. They built a remote team in many different countries, but this blurred the work time zones. They were kinder in person, but the pandemic meant they couldn't get together for retreats, and so the harsh online culture prevailed over uh, over 
over a more benign in-person one, praise was rare. Turnover was high, but the founders recruited new employees on the promises of large bonuses. The tech tools that helped the team communicate could also be used to monitor behavior. In one case, Mahler wanted a character in an upcoming game to be raped. Wow. <laughs> wow. It took about a month to convince him that this was a bad idea for a plot in a video game where the object was to provide the character with a motivation for revenge. While Moon's games have won praise, those who left the company say they were scarred with mental health problems. Oh my god. There's a pushback from the founders, which I'm not going to read. You can't just say, oh no, we meant something else. Oh my god. You know, so... I'll leave you to read the rest if you care to, but that was worse than I expected it to be, and that's got to change. That's completely got to change. Hollywood Reporter has, uh, let's see, an article titled Mega Deals Royal Video Game Worker Unionization Efforts. A spate of acquisitions, including Microsoft's $68.7 billion deal for Activision Blizzard, marks a flashpoint among organizers looking to make inroads, inroads in a mostly non-union industry. This one's written by Kate Kilkenny, and I'll read you a little bit from this. Is the video game labor movement finally at a turning point? Over the past several years, workers in the largely non-union U.S. industry have grown increasingly vocal about workplace issues, ranging from gender discrimination to unpaid overtime and mandatory arbitration practices, with walkouts at Activision Blizzard, and they're naming... Uh, popular games from each of these companies. So they wrote Call of Duty, Riot Games, League of Legends, over company issues and worker groups at Activision, Blizzard and Ubisoft, Assassin's Creed, publicly pressuring leadership to make changes. Before the COVID-19 pandemic, the labor giant Communications Workers of America, CWA, publicly launched the campaign to organize digital employees. That's what code CWA is. While IATSE quietly escalated its rights and protections for game workers, there's a whole bunch of letters there uh, for their movement, uh, both seeking to make union inroads in the business. And at the end of 2021, indie studio Vodio Games, who makes Beast Breaker, voluntarily recognized a worker group, which became the first certified union at a video game studio in North America. In January, Quality Assurance QA workers at Activision Blizzard-owned Raven Software took initial steps to form a union. These early union breakthroughs have arrived as the industry is in a period of sudden consolidation. Deals including Take-Two Interactive acquiring Zynga for $12.7 billion. I think I talked about that on a previous show. I'm like, Zynga? Really? Um, Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion and Sony's purchase of Bungie. Oh, Okay, for $3.6 billion have all been announced this year, which some labor advocates consider a threat to their efforts. And it's kind of talking about, you know, how that affects people who are trying to unionize. And I'll leave you to go through, you know, the rest of this. But it, it sounds like what should be done is let these people have their unions. Unions are a very important part of at least the United States, if not other countries. Some other countries have even stronger unions than what's allowed here in the United States. But the union is what protects people from egregious behavior from their workplace and from their corporation. So it's important. I really hope everyone who wants to be in a union gets to do that. And we've also got a video here and it's from um, People Make Games and it is about 40 minutes long. And this one is titled Investigating Three Indie Superstars Accused of Emotional Abuse. And I'm just going to, there's some little notes in here. 
the companies and the people that are mentioned within this specifically are Ken Wong at Mountains, uh, Steve Gaynor at Fulbright, and Robin Hinelke at Phenomena. In every case with these, this video has been done very ethically. They have talked to people who worked at these studios or have since left the studios. And instead of, for the most part, there's with one exception, um, instead of like, you know, putting that person's face in the video that they're doing, they hired voice actors and they got, first they got quotes from people, you know, working there describing what was it like to work at this one or at that one or the other one. And they sent, you know, a, a response and then they took those responses and they got voice actors who had the type of voices that would match where the studio was located. So they had like Australian people reading off some of these uh, descriptions and they made it very obvious that the voice you hear from the voice actor uh, doesn't necessarily match the gender of the person who wrote the thing. So they're trying to very much protect people and let them speak out in this way in an anonymous way. So that was a really good thing. Um, but it's the kind of situations in here where it seems like, you know, these are all smaller companies. These are indie games. And what seemed to be happening throughout these is you have someone that's at the top that has an extraordinary amount of power and is using it to abuse their workers in different ways. So if you're, you know, thinking, oh, it's just the big game companies that have this problem. The small ones are wonderful. Look at this great thing they made that is just so heartwarming. And no, it happens there too. So if you want to look into that, I'll put the links to everything into the uh, show notes at ChatteredSoulStone.com. Blizzard Entertainment has been doing some good things for Women's History Month. They've been highlighting some of the women that are working in Blizzard. And so on March 17th, they posted a Women's History Month little thing here with Nikki Crenshaw, the senior UX researcher. And there's a picture of her here and she's got like the night elf ears going on. I'm not sure if she's in cosplay. It's a black and white photo. So it might be some cosplay kind of thing or something like that and there's a little blurb from her in this and they've used this quote from her i got into games user research because of my own experiences forming lifelong friendships with people i met in world of warcraft and wanting to help others have those same kinds of amazing experiences now working at blizzard i really get to embody our core value every voice matters by making sure we include underrepresented voices from our player communities to provide feedback and participate in research opportunities we talk about making the most epic experiences ever but i want to make sure we make the most epic experiences for everyone. And they also highlighted, uh, let's see if I can pronounce the name right, Elkali Lake. And she is the community manager, a community manager, or maybe a highlight, maybe a higher up one. I don't know how that works with community managers for Hearthstone. She wrote uh, her quote. It says this, I come to Blizzard to make the community I came to Blizzard. I came to Blizzard to make the community a better place for everyone, and our team has expanded that vision and opened my eyes to the possibility of so much more. They gave me hope every single day. I've never met a more dedicated group, all moving toward increased inclusion and diversity in gaming. When we speak to the community, we always do our best to ask, is this speaking to as many people as possible? Is this readable in many languages? Is our message inclusive? Did we add 
add accessibility options to our messaging? Can we do better? I'm so proud to work with these amazing people. So that just comes back around to accessibility in gaming. And it looks like Blizzard's doing the right thing. That's, you know, the Hearthstone thing I mentioned where they had someone reading it, you know. And it wasn't like an AI voice reading it in that Hearthstone video. It was a human, you could tell. So shifting into more Diablo stuff here. Um, the Diablo account, which I find so amusing all the time, they've really captured the, uh, I don't know, the whole overall feeling of if Diablo himself was writing these, you know, that kind of thing. And there's a little post, of, it's a picture, and it has like, if you've ever seen like, you know, someone who has a lot of kittens that their cat had just given birth to and they're old enough to give the kittens a new home and they'll put up something like free kittens, you know, and they'll put like a little phone number if you want and a little cute picture of them. Well, this one says free demons and there's three little ghastly looking demons all um, covered in red and it says need good homes, take one. And so there's phone numbers underneath and some have been taken and you have to call 666-666-666, which I think is hysterically funny. And it's just this kind of like weird humor that I really enjoy so that's kind of cool Wyatt Chang posted a tweet actually two tweets so the first one was did you know in video games with level up mechanics people sometimes say the XP requirement increases exponentially that's fine but technically you probably want XP requirements to grow linearly or quadratically he continues with, if you already knew this, love Diablo and want to level up the state of mobile gaming, you might make a great senior systems designer on the team we're hiring. And there is a career thing here that I'm going to take a look at real quick. It is a job offer kind of thing. It is a senior systems designer for Diablo Immortal. And it's starting, it's, the description starts with, the minions of hell are growing stronger. <laughs> Talks a little bit about Diablo Immortal and there's uh, requirements and, you know, things like that in here. So if, if that's you, if that's something you want to do and you're capable of it, you might want to check this out. And again, links will be in the show notes. And now I'm going to talk about the Diablo 3 PTR 2.7.3, which was posted on, there was an update posted on uh, yesterday, March 17. So I'm going to read you the stuff in red that has changed since the last patch notes for this. So there's Echoing Nightmare Updates. Rare monsters now spawn. Meteors now fall from the from the sky. I don't know where the meteors were falling from before, but <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh, hellish machinations now appear, which spawn streams of exploding lunatics. The lunatics are the thing with that ring where you, you equip the ring and these little round guys with some kind of lighter fluid inside them run up and blow themselves up on monsters, you know? I get the name. It kind of bothers me because it can kind of... I mean, lunatic was... Like, people were put in asylums a long time ago and called a lunatic. So I wish they'd pick something else, but in any case, those things are going to spawn. Um, Rift Guardians now spawn. Increased the frequency of which monsters spawn. Updated the Shadow Clone explosion to better reflect the area of effect. The exit timer has been increased to 60 seconds. Increased the possible rank of a Whisper of Atonement. Increased the possible rank a Whisper of Atonement can drop to 125 based on the tier completed. Monsters in Echoing Nightmares can no longer be frozen, stunned, rooted, or knocked back. Fixed a bug that caused conduit shrines to deal less damage than intended. So, I love the conduit shrines. So, 
I think I'll probably like that they're making more damage now. There was also a developer's note. These changes are intended to address feedback from the community by dialing up the chaos inside of Echoing Nightmares. Another developer's note. This is our first seasonal theme that introduces a new activity to the game. In the Echoing Nightmare, players will experience an intense densely packed, increasingly challenging event that stretches their ability to stay in the fight as long as possible. We found inspiration in Oryx's warning. Many Nephilim have stood where you are now, but few succeeded in overcoming the trials. The Echoing Nightmare explores what happened to those Nephilim who did not succeed. I love that they're pulling in some lore here. There's some more things they changed. Um, further increased the progression granted by some monsters in Greater Rifts. Additionally, increased the progression granted by Fallen Shaman, Fallen Conjurer, Fallen Prophet, and Fallen Fire Mage. Added a new visual effect upon entering an Oryx Dream. Updated the Oryx Dream vignette to be more pronounced. Two more developer's notes from yesterday. Uh, we continue to tweak the progress given by some monsters to make them more desirable to confront in Greater Rifts. Additionally, we heard feedback from some players that it wasn't apparent when they entered an Oryx Dream, so we've added additional visual effects. The other developers note, we wanted to improve the Greater Rift experience through quality of life updates, balance changes, and addressing community feedback. We've reviewed all of the maps and monsters that appear in Greater Rifts and reworked the probabilities overall to make sure players spend more time with the content they enjoy. Less spaghetti and more chickens, is what they said. And there's a little bit more in here. Um... One note just says we wanted to make it easier for players to jump in and try our new content, and this has to do with stuff that's in the PTR, uh, so it won't go into the main game in the same way because it's a PTR. There's some changes to Legacy of Raycor for the Barbarians. Um, there's a bunch of other stuff in here, so I'll leave you to check that out for yourself if you want to know more, but that's kind of an overview of that one. Speaking of Echoing Nightmare, Anna Cake has a video, like a clip, I guess. It's a 25-second clip, and she wrote on Twitter, I am quite excited about new Echoing Nightmare, and there's stuff blowing up all over the screen, and it just looks so exciting. And she's very obviously excited and happy about that, so that's kind of cool. Uh, Big Daddy Den made a YouTube video called Echoing Nightmare PTR Update, so you can check that out as well. And then we've got, um, we're going to shift over to Diablo 2 Resurrected. So the Diablo account wrote, Ready Yourself for Greatness on March 16, and has two little cross swords as an emoji. Patch 2.4 will bring a new set, will bring new set changes to Diablo 2 Resurrected. And it's, it's set item bonus changes. So the ones that they're talking about in this little graphic that's here are Arcanus Tricks, Arctic Gear, Bulkathos's Children, Cathan's Traps, Siverb's Vestments, Cow King's Leathers, with parentheses with three question marks after that, Infernal Tools, Eratha's Finery, Milabrega's Regalia, Naj's Ancient Vestige, Sazabi's Grand Tribute, and Vidala's Rig. That's the ones they mentioned. I don't know what any of these things are because I haven't spent a whole lot of time in Diablo 2, but for some people you may immediately know what that is. Debrunsky has a YouTube video and it's about patch 2.4 of Diablo 2 Resurrected and he's got some final thoughts about it, talking about ladder and things like that, so you can check that out if you'd like to. Ashley, who tweets his, uh, whose uh, Twitter account is Trixbegistus, posted a 
short little clip of playing Diablo 2 and just some stuff that she found. There's a lot of hashtags in this, but that's cool. You can do that if you want. So that's, you know, if you got a couple seconds, it's about 30 seconds long. So you can check that out. And we've got uh, Cresto the Artist, who is a 2D illustrator, a Blizzard fan, uses he, him, and is doing commissions. And he's posted a really cool picture of Diablo that he created. He's calling it Diablo the Lord of Terror. And you have, like, you know, Diablo with, like, the big spike out of his head and the horns that curve out to the side, much like the one that Lilith holds in the Lilith statue. His wings, he's got wings unfolding and a huge claws. There's fire coming from the bottom of this and behind him are some buildings that are kind of, they have like a tall tower on them and the moon behind him and there's little tiny stars in there and it's really neat so I wanted people to check that out. And we've also got from X-T-I-M-U-S Xmas? I'm trying i don't know how to pronounce this it's really hard to guess you know like gamer names on twitter that doesn't pronounce them for you so maybe that's an accessibility thing too i don't know twitter's not gonna fix that though um he wrote new stuff from my stash the first ever website for battle that from 1996 and there's a screenshot and it says BattleNet, and it's written in lower caps with battle.net and it's got like the type of graphics that you might see in the matrix, not all like the confusing stuff going by, but that green color, you know, and there's a, a square that says download it now. And it's got a Diablo original logo in there. And there's one that says announcements you can click on. And there's one for Starcraft at the bottom is a little box that says blizzard entertainment. This is kind of neat too. And then the last thing I've got something I didn't expect was going to happen at all because I don't really pay attention to Heroes of the Storm too much. I've played it before. I like playing it solo because I'm just in there to kill things. I don't, you know, I don't care if I'm doing it right or whatever. <laughs> I play against the AI. It's fine. I haven't played the game in a long time to be honest. But there's a thing here. Um, Heroes CCL Season 4 LAN Finals. That's right, LAN, Local Area Network Finals. Attendance Guidelines for CCL Players. And they're going to do this at the Mall of America at the Wisdom Gaming Studios in Mall of America on August 5th through 7th of 2022. They wrote, We know this is something you've wanted to see since Heroes CCL launched in 2020, and with the completion of our studios and venue, we are excited to make that dream a reality. CCL administration has put together guidelines and rules for our players and organizations regarding attendance to the LAN and how it affects participation in Heroes CCL Season 4. As we all know, COVID-19 guidelines are changing quickly based on the most current information that is available from the CDC. So we have to stress that these rules and guidelines are subject to change based on what is currently happening as we get closer to the event. You know, it says attendance is required of all players of the four qualified teams at the Heroes CCL LAN. Um, In other words, like it's possible someone might be recording the event, like walking around with a camera or something, you know, but this isn't it does not appear that this is going to be like, and here's the live stream of it. You know, I think it's going to be like, you have to be there in person kind of thing, which is probably why they're being real careful about the COVID type stuff. Because the last thing you want is for your really cool fun event that people really want to play to become the next site of the plague. So they're not going to, you know, they're going to take care. I hope Um, almost half of this has to do with COVID type stuff because they want to be really careful. And I think that's the responsible thing to do. 
Currently, Mall of America does not require a proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test upon entry, and masks are optional for all attendees. And this uh, Harrow CCL is going to be reassessing the situation frequently as the event gets closer, and they're very careful about this. The event will be open to the public. Hero CCL says we have more exciting news about attending the land tickets, venue information, travel tips, etc., to share with you in the coming months. And, um, you know, you can read more about it if you want. If this is something you want to do, you can, you know, read that and, and figure it out. But it's a LAN, it's a local area network like we did back in the 90s. And that's exciting because I didn't think people were actually still doing that, like in a like a professional here is our land kind of way in the mall of America of all places. So I think it's kind of exciting. I hope people go do this and have fun and don't get sick. You know, I mean, <laughs> who knew heroes of the storm having a land party in mall of America sometime soon. And that's where I'm going to end the show. Thank you for listening to this. It's been a bit of a ramble and a few different topics all in a row. I hope it made sense, but Overall, I think I expressed what I was trying to say with all of the things that I found between last show and this one. You have been listening to episode 351 of The Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in-game, our in-game community and clan, in Diablo 3 for sure, not sure about the rest. Uh, both named Shattered Soulstone are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page as well as the at the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening. You know, by the time you've killed Diablo, he just, that's no, sorry. Oh God, let me start that over. <laughs> okay. <laughs>